All right, have a seat. Thank you. My name is Eric, and I get to lead as one of the pastors here at the chapel. So whether you're here in person or watching online, just a special welcome to you. I want to just tell you a little bit about what's happening at the chapel moving forward. I want to tell you something that we want to give all of you today as well. First of all, I want to tell you about what we want to give you. Uh, There's an incredible Bible app called the Dwell Bible app. And what it does is it reads to you different verses. And what's different, even from maybe Bible apps that you have, is you can go into this app and maybe find a topic that you want to learn more about. So maybe you want to see the verses on God's grace. You can uh, hit that topic, and it will give you all the verses for God's grace. And it will read them to you or give you a plan to read it. It's one of the best Bible apps that I've ever seen. And if you want to use it on an ongoing basis, there's a cost. But a part of our Grow and Deeper Fund is we want to offset that cost completely and give you this Dwell Bible app for free and hopefully allow you and I to go deeper in the scriptures. I actually use this when I'm getting ready in the morning, just letting scripture play as I'm in the shower or getting dressed for the day. It's such a great time to, or great app to use for our chair time. And so if you want to download that Bible app, uh, you can text the word Dwell to that number on the screen, or you can scan the QR code, all of which is in your welcome program. And when you do that, you'll register for it. You have to put your email in. We'll then send you an email with how to download the app, and it's free to use. And then you can even follow along in our Galatians series. We have the exact scriptures to to read in advance for the topic. So it's really great. So hopefully you enjoy it as much as I do. And then wanted to let you know, on January 31st, if you're one that's uh, giving to the chapel, thank you for your generosity. We know that tax season's coming up soon, and we're gathering all of our information And so we want to send you your giving statement through your email uh, on the 31st. If for some reason you do not receive that, because that's how email can work sometimes, just call the office and we will make sure to uh, mail you one, a physical copy. But also, if you think your uh, information has changed for whatever reason, maybe you moved, got a new phone number, new email, it would really help us to stay in contact with you. And so if you text the word UPDATE to that number on the screen, again, in your welcome program, or you want to stop by at the Welcome Center, we have physical copies available for you just to be able to update your information for our database so we can make sure to stay in regular contact with you. So make sure uh, you do that. All right? And then finally, we have our child dedications in a couple of weeks, the 28th, 29th, where we honor families and their kids by dedicating them and setting them apart for the Lord. And so if you are interested and want to have your child or grandchild or maybe it's a special niece or nephew be dedicated to the Lord, right after this, in the C2 room right across the way, Pastor Jay and our team will be in there to instruct you on how to sign up and what child dedication is. So all you have to do is go over there, bring your child, we'll wait for you to start, and then we would love to uh, set your child and your family apart to the Lord on the 28th and 29th, all right? Uh, Before we jump in the message, I wanted to pray for us, and uh, Martin Luther King Day is tomorrow, and uh, Martin Luther King, he wasn't just an activist, he was also uh, a pastor, a preacher, and I found a prayer that he wrote that I just want to pray with you today, just such a powerful prayer for us to start our service. Let me pray this for us. Oh God, we thank you for the lives of great saints and prophets in the past who have revealed to us that we can stand up amid the problems and difficulties and trials of life and not give in. We thank you for our foreparents, who has given us something in the midst of the darkness and oppression to keep going. God, remove all bitterness from my heart 
and give me the strength and courage to face any disaster that comes my way. Grant that we will go on with the proper faith and the proper determination of will so that we will be able to make a creative contribution to this world. We pray this in the name of the Spirit, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, right now we are in uh, the book of Galatians, and we are discovering how to choose freedom every single day. And if you were with us last week, you know that we looked at ways that we try to find freedom, but they don't produce, so they don't satisfy. For instance, we said secularism, or what the world can give us to try to make us happy, that doesn't give us the freedom that we long for. Other times we look in freedom to religion, which is the opposite of what Jesus came to give us. Jesus came for a relationship. But in religion, we try to work our way to God or try to earn our way to God, and that never works. It never gives us freedom. Or we said another way is people-pleasing. We become someone that we're not in order to get favor for someone or someone to like us, and we know that that leads to what Proverbs says is a trap that's hard to get out of. But what Paul says in the letter to these Galatian churches is that freedom only can come from the promise of the gospel, which is God's grace and mercy that lead to the peace and freedom that we long for. And we said through the equation of it's Jesus plus nothing that equals freedom. Well, today we want to read the next part of this letter to you, Galatians 1.11 through 2.2. And so I encourage you to open your Bibles and I'm going to read this to you out loud today. Galatians 1.11 through 2.2. Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message that I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I, re I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle that I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that I am writing to you is no lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Sicilia. And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was what people were saying about me. The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. And Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I have been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement, for fear that all my efforts had been wasted, and I was running the race for nothing. This is God's word. Now, as we look at this passage, and the way we want to break it down today, 
we see something happening in Paul that simultaneously two things are going on at the same time. This is what Tim Keller says about this passage. He said, God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. I want to read that again because it's so important we understand this. God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. You see, Paul is teaching about freedom, that he longs for everyone to have freedom, and it's found in the gospel. And then all of a sudden, Paul himself discovers this freedom. We read that he was following the Jewish faith, he was following the law, and that wasn't getting him anywhere. And finally, he discovers this freedom in Jesus through his grace, through his mercy. And it changes Paul from the inside out. It's for Paul. But then Paul realizes this good news isn't just for me. I can't just keep it for myself. I need to share it with others. And so God uses Paul to share the good news with the non-Jews called the Gentiles. And so he shares this good news through Paul. For Paul, through Paul. The same thing is for us. This discovery of God's grace leads to the freedom that our souls long for. He wants to give this to us. It's for us, but he doesn't want to just keep it. There are family members and friends and co-workers and strangers and neighbors and people that God brings in your path that he wants to share the good news through you. So it's not just for us, but it's through us. And for the remainder of our time today, I hope you leave today understanding how great God's grace is for you. This freedom that you can discover, but you can't just keep it for yourself. It would be so selfish for us to have something that literally changes eternity and we hold it back from those who need it the most. It's for us, but it's through us. So let's begin with looking at how is it for us? Here's what Paul says again, Galatians 1.11. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message that I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, every time I read verse 11, I laugh out loud because he's saying, I did not receive this through human reasoning. In other words, Paul is saying, you can't make this up. No human made this story up. I had to get it from the source itself because who can make up this story? I mean, think about it. If you're trying to convince somebody that God is real and that God came to our earth and that he was victorious in the end, you would probably make up a story of a God that looks more like Captain America <laughs> than you would of someone that looks like this. I mean, who can make this story up? The, the, the story of Jesus is this. Now just think about it. He came to this earth, and he was born of a virgin. Is that not crazy? Let's just start there. And then this God was born in a stable. So we got virgin birth, He's born in a stable. What a weird start to this God that's supposed to be coming down to here. And then for 90% of his life, think about that. For 90% of his life, 30 out of 33 years, he lives in obscurity. 
Only his friends, only his family, only his co-workers would have known Jesus. No one else knew that he was the son of God. 90% of his life, he lived in the shadows. Virgin birth, bringing him into a stable. No one knows who he is for most of his life. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and then he starts teaching about forgiveness, humility, turning the other cheek, all of those things that don't really sound good in that culture. And then Jesus, he teaches all these things, and then he selects 12 disciples, most of whom were the laughingstock of the community. Tax collectors, fishermen, people who would not have been religious scholars or people you would think would follow God himself. And then at the end of Jesus' life, this God dies. He dies on a cross. And he dies on a cross for the very people that put him on it. People hurt Jesus. People turned away from him. And he died for those kinds of people. And then in the end, this God rose from the grave three days later. Who could make up a story like that? (laughs) Unless it was true. If you're going to make up a story about a God who came here and is victorious, again, he's going to look more like Captain America. He is going to be a superhero, not some God who was born of a virgin, in a stable, lived most of his life that no one knew, had these followers that people would laugh at, and he died for people's sins that they committed against him. Who makes up that story unless it's true? And here's the Apostle Paul. He's just going along in life. He's following this Jewish law, following the traditions of his ancestors. And then, bam, he is confronted with this story of Jesus. And he didn't want it. He wasn't looking for it. He was content with what he was doing. We read this in Galatians 1.13. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. And I was far ahead of my fellow Jews and my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Here is Paul, who thinks that the very best thing to do for God is to kill Christians. Is to try to destroy the, Jew, uh, the, the Jesus church. I mean, think about it. He followed the law, which was the true Jewish tradition. He followed the ancestors this ancestor's traditions, which meant he was what he calls himself a Pharisee above all Pharisees. He knew the law. He lived out the law. He protected the law. He wanted to make sure no one would touch it. So much so that he thought that the Christian church was a threat to Judaism in such a way that he was going out and killing people for it. And when you look at Paul's life, you realize that he thinks he's doing these things for God, but God would never condone this. It goes against all, it goes against who God really is. Yet here's Paul doing those things. So on the outside, Paul may think, I'm doing the right thing, I'm protecting God, I'm doing this for him. But on the inside, we realize he is so far from God. And that's why Jesus has to come to Paul. Jesus has to wake Paul up to the fact that though you think you're living for me, your heart is so far from me that I need to intervene. And that's what's so amazing about God. Through his grace in Jesus, he gives second chances. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of forgiveness. Even when we're going against him, and oftentimes when we think we're doing it for him, he can intercede and do something for us we couldn't even imagine. That's why we read 
this conjunction in Galatians 1.15, the word but. I've said this before, and I really want to camp on it this morning. Anytime you see something happening in Scripture, it seems like it's going against somebody. Or someone's living in a way that's against God, just like Paul is. And then you read but. You see that there's about to be a change of circumstances. And for Paul, there is a complete change of circumstances. When we hear the word but, let's be um, mature adults in here, not B-U-T-T, okay? But B-U-T. When we hear that, we can see that there is some kind of good news in the midst of possible bad news. For instance, you may hear someone say, the doctor said I have cancer, but it can be treated. Bad news that ultimately is good news, right? Or we got into a car accident, but no one was hurt. Again, it could have turned out way worse, but thankfully we were okay. Or this, Michigan beat Purdue in the Big Ten Championship, but lost to TCU in the biggest upset in college football playoff history. They won a Big Ten championship. Oh, no. But they couldn't beat TCU in the college playoff in the biggest upset in college football history. See, there are these, these bad things that end up being good in the end, right? And that's exactly what happens with Paul. It is not looking well for him. So much so that God himself has to come to him face to face and share this story that no human could ever make up. For him to realize what real forgiveness and real grace and real redemption looks like. It was going this way for Paul, but it isn't going to be like that for Paul forever. And just like we read in verse 15, it says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. I want you to really think about these words because we can just speed by them, but I really want to camp out in these words for a moment. Paul lived a life where at the end of his life before Jesus, he resorts to the fact that he thinks he's supposed to kill people in order to protect God and protect his religion, protect his faith, protect his, protect his traditions. But it says... From the beginning, God chose him and called him to his marvelous grace. Even before Paul was born, God could see what Paul was going to do and knew he would not be living the way that he was supposed to. But he still chose him anyways to live out this good news of following Jesus and then sharing Jesus with his whole life. There are some of you in this room that probably feel the same way in that you look at your life and there's like no chance. You know what you've done. You have felt guilty. You have felt shame. You've done some things to people that you can't even talk about because it's unspeakable. Things that you've thought, things that you've committed even in secret that if people found out, they would want, not want to associate with you. Maybe you could say, like Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Paul looks at himself, he's like, look, I know everyone is really bad, but like, look at me. Look how I oppose God. Look at the pride in my heart. Look how I lived and treated other people. I am the worst sinner of all time. 
Now, Paul is probably using hyperbole here because was Paul the worst sinner of all time? No. He's tied for first. With you. And with me. You see, you may sit there and think, I don't know about that because Paul killed people. Many of you probably did not do that. (laughs) Jesus says, if you hate someone, though, you commit murder. You ever hate anybody? See, sin is not measured just by actions. It's measured by intentions as well, by our attitude. And all of us have this attitude, like Paul, though it looked differently, that we will live our life in a way that we deem that it should go. We become God of our own life. And Paul says that kind of attitude ties you with him with first place, with being the worst of all sinners. But like Paul, we can claim that Christ came into this world to save sinners, and I am one of those. That he chose you from even the beginning, even before you could have imagined, to accept his grace, to accept his mercy, to accept his forgiveness. It's up to you to choose to do that, just like Paul does here. But that kind of freedom, that kind of soul-liberating freedom, that kind of freedom, like we said last week, that rescues you from drowning, that opens the prison door and allows you out, that freedom is for you and me. It doesn't matter what you've done because God had a plan for you even before you were born to see him and to know him. That's exactly what Paul says. This gospel is for me. This good news is for me. It's for you. But it's not just for you. This gospel, if you know Jesus and you see how it's changed your life and how it's changed your eternity, I think it's the most selfish thing that we can do is to keep it for ourselves. And if I can be real honest with you for a moment, The gospel is supposed to come through us, which means in all aspects of our life, we should be sharing Jesus. You don't have to go around and like preach at people, but we're sharing about him with our life and with our words as well. And what's so interesting, you may say, boy, that's kind of scary, and it can be. But how often are we willing to share about our political views with people? Or during COVID, especially the height of it, we were willing to tell people why we were for vaccines or against vaccines or for masks or against masks or why we were voting for Trump or voting for Biden. We are so readily uh, doing that and saying those kinds of things. But when it comes to the gospel, we don't say anything. And as important as political things are and health things are, it means nothing compared to the gospel. I think we should be as passionate about sharing Jesus as we are about everything else we're passionate about. It's why Paul says in verse 15 through 16, he says, Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. It's for him, for you, so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Jesus revealed Christ to you. And then here comes a clause of purpose. A clause of calling. Everyone wants to know, what do I do with my life? This is what you do with your life. Then everything else is details. 
What you and I do with our lives, we accept Jesus and then we show Jesus with how we live and how we love and how we act and how we talk and how we treat other people. This is what we're called to do. And again, I know it can be scary. It can be hard, especially in this climate and culture. I mean, we live in a culture of relativism that says just pick whatever you want and that's your truth and you can't tell me what my truth ought to be and I understand that. But if you truly know the truth and we aren't willing to speak it, what we are saying is we are people pleasers. Again, I want to go back to what we read last week. It's so important. Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. He's like, look, I have a choice. I either live out my life for Jesus, and that could lead to persecution. That could lead to people making fun of me. That could lead to death itself, Paul says. But it doesn't matter, because I know the truth. I have joy and freedom in this world, and if someone kills me, I get to go to another world. And to be with Jesus forever, it's a win-win. But you can't be a people pleaser and follow Christ, which means you can't just try to live for Jesus on Sunday and then not live for him the rest of the time. He is revealed to us for us to enjoy and to delight and to change our lives so that you can share that with others, no matter what it costs. A couple weeks ago, if you were like me, you turned on the Monday night football game to see DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills take a shot to the heart and go into cardiac arrest. One of the craziest scenes I've ever seen in my life, let alone in a, in a game of football. And obviously everybody else was tweeting and Facebooking and Instagramming and all of these things. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And this NFL analyst who works for ESPN, Dan Orvalosky, he's like, enough with thoughts and prayers. And on national TV, on ESPN, he risked his whole career to live out the gospel in front of everybody. Take a look. I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Sheriff and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And it's just on my heart that I want to pray for It him. is. DeMar Hamlin, right, right, right now. God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that your God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad, we're angry, um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 Would we do that? We're clapping, rightfully so. That is awesome. I've seen it numerous times. Every time I see it, it just... He could have lost his career. That's what we call career suicide right there. It's one thing if he says thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. But he prayed a biblical prayer acknowledging anger with God, acknowledging why prayer works. I mean, it was so theologically sound in the name of Jesus. 
I always knew that he was a Christ follower because I know some of his backstory, but he took it to another level. He knew the gospel was for him so that he could share it. In a moment when the whole world is looking for hope, he shares hope. He isn't quiet. He doesn't just tweet out a verse. He puts his whole career on the line because he knows how much the gospel is needed. People need to hear it. And I understand it's so scary to bring it up to coworkers or friends or family. I get it. But when we don't, we are pleasing people. When we don't, we're selfishly holding back something that can change someone's eternity just like it has for you and me. And what's so beautiful towards the end of this passage in Galatians 1, I love what Paul says as he's reflecting on his story. He visits Peter and after that he says, I, after that visit I, I went north into the providences of Syria and Sicilia. And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew that I was this person who would persecute, uh, sorry, all they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And then he says in verse 24, and they praise God because of me. And at first you read that, you're like, dang, Paul, you were pretty full of yourself. Like, they're praising God because of me. I'm pretty awesome. (laughs) That's not what he's doing here. He's saying, look, all these people heard about me. They knew I was a murderer. And then I heard this crazy story that nobody can make up through human logic and human reasoning. It must be true. And because it's true, it's changed my life. And now I have a changed life so that I can go change other people's lives. And these people who are following Jesus hear about this and they cannot believe it. They are so thankful for it. That this God redeems Paul, rescues Paul, frees Paul so that he can free other people. And they're hearing about this and they're just so thankful for the example of Paul that gives them strength and gives them the courage to go out and share Jesus with others. Do you know that our lives are our greatest argument for the existence of Jesus? It's a changed life. Whether you had a crazy story like Paul Or you're like my wife who followed Jesus pretty much from the beginning but has a good story too. You share that story with others. That's the greatest example that you can show people that Jesus exists. And so the gospel, it is for you and it is for me and it is meant to change our lives. But it isn't just for you and for me. It is through us that we reach our communities and our world and our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our family for him. For how else are they going to discover Jesus if it isn't through you and through me? Paul, or excuse me, Jesus revealed Christ through you. It was for you, but it's meant to be through you. May you take that and change someone else's life too. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this amazing story of Paul's life change. The grace of God freed him from a life of imprisonment that he was in. But you tell us through your word it happened so that so that he can share it with others. Give us the boldness, just like we saw in that clip, to share Christ with people, even if it costs us something. Because even if it costs us something, you will reward us anyways. So may we live boldly for you because of all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're interested in child dedication, head out to the other room. Anyone else, have a great Sunday.